Hello, friends at University Presbyterian Church. It is so great to be with you this morning. I am saddened that I can't be with you in person. God blessed me just by being with you all this time last year. I thank God for Pastor George and for his vision and insight. I thank God for my friends, Pastor Aaron and Michelle, for uh, Chris and Atsuko. I miss you all. And I really pray that God is continuing to bless you and to cause you to thrive in these unprecedented times. And I'm so grateful to be invited to close out this series on Unfollow. We're talking today on this Palm Sunday about unfollowing the devil. And what better way to unfollow the ways of the enemy than to think more deeply about how and why we follow God. So this morning, I'm going to just share from the topic, the essential worker. God's essential worker. And the scripture this morning will come from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 28 through 40 in the New King James Version. Again, this is the Gospel of Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they sat Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege you've given us to be together virtually. We pray that you would bless our time and sharing in your word, that we might hear your voice, that we might be drawn away from the world and closer to the cross. And we thank you, Lord for this day of grace and love and celebration. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. God's essential workers. Everyone wants to be needed. Children want to feel helpful with chores and housework. In turn, parents want to know that their children need them and are proud of them to show them off to friends. Husbands want to know that their wives need them for big things like feeling loved and safe, and even for small things like fixing things around the house. And wives want to know that their husbands need them for anything from providing nurture and support and encouraging to answering things that only women can. 
No matter where we are in our lives, we all want to know that we are needed. We want to be the friends that are the ones people can turn to. We want to know that people recognize that we're important, that what we bring to the table is important. We want to know that we're a part of someone's puzzle and that without us, the puzzle just wouldn't fit right. In fact, some of us want to be needed so badly that we manipulate situations and relationships to make ourselves necessary. Uh, Some parents are afraid to release their children because they fear what life would be like without someone depending on them. Uh, Some employees even develop systems that are run by codes that nobody else knows because they want to be the necessary people on the job. It's a terrible thing to live your life and not know that you're needed by someone. This thought, this idea that we're not necessary can lead people to kind of uh, check out of their lives at times. This thought, this fear of not being needed can lead us to extremes of either creating unnecessary dependence or living completely aloof from the communities of which we're a part. And this is even more complicated when it comes to our faith. Our desire to be needed doesn't go away when we give our lives to Christ. Every person who is a human being who has accepted Christ is still a human being, and we we still long to be needed. But how do you reconcile this desire to be needed when you serve a God who doesn't need a thing? Some people try to create needs for themselves within the body of Christ. They serve in every ministry. They do all that they can. They they make ministry like a part-time job. And and it's not the work that's bad. It's, It's the intentions that might be off. Because deep down, even church workaholics know that God doesn't need them. And on the other spectrum, those who choose to kind of check out really believe, well, because God doesn't need me, I don't have to do much at all. There's a whole kingdom of people out there, and if God doesn't use me, I'm sure he'll find someone else. Sometimes this can lead us into a complacent Christianity. And then we have two spectrums. We have the workaholic Christianity that becomes a human doer and not a human being. And then we've got complacent Christianity that leads us to believe that we're not necessary in the kingdom of God. And whether we do or we don't, God doesn't care. But see, this is exactly what the enemy wants. The devil wants the people of God to be so deceived by our misperceived need that we won't be useful at all. If the enemy can make us feel that we are unimportant to God, then he can keep our families from reconciling. He can keep marriages from working out. He can even keep leaders from from really involving and embracing the calling of God on our lives. If we believe that we are not essential to God, then we could risk forfeiting God's destiny for our lives. But I am so glad to share today. I'm so glad to know for myself that the enemy is already defeated. God is at work in our lives. God's power is so strong within us that nothing can separate us from his love or his mercy or his grace. And because God lives and breathes and works within us, we can declare with boldness and confidence, we are God's essential workers. Now, I know, I know what you may be thinking. We may not be God's doctors or we may not be uh, God's uh, uh, lawyers. We may not be God's federal workers, but for sure, God has invested in us. God has chosen us. 
In fact, maybe you're listening today and you, you're wondering whether or not you matter to God. I, I want to be the one to tell you today, you are indispensable to God. God has his eye on you. God has his hand on you. God has created you. You are critical to God. God has called you. God has anointed you. God has empowered you. And and I just want you to know today you are important to God. And because you are essential to God, you are a necessary part of your family, of your community, of your workplace, of your church. You are a crucial part of God's kingdom. If we were all together, I'd say, say it with me. We are God's essential workers. In this text, God demonstrates how essential we are through an unsuspecting character. And that is a cult. God uses this unsuspecting character, a cult, to prove to each of us the essential nature of our relationships with God. And the first thing that the text spells out for us is God makes us important. God makes us essential by our position. We are essential to God because of our position in him. In verses 28 through 30, Luke goes through great lengths to tell us exactly where this cult is located. It happens to be on the way to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem for Jesus was both a time and a place. Jesus knew that going to Jerusalem meant that he was nearing the end. Going back to Jerusalem meant that he would be in the thick of religious controversy. And while he avoided this place so many times before, Luke tells us that Jesus went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Furthermore, Luke is telling us that on this way, he stopped near Bethpage and Bethany at Mount Olive, and he told the disciples to go to the village opposite them and find a cult tied on which no one had ridden. They were told to loose this cult and bring it to the master. So, so here we have Jesus on the way to his destiny. He stops at a specific location between two specific cities. He tells his disciples to go to a specific village opposite that city and find a specific cult in a specific location in time. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's as if Jesus knew that this cult would be waiting at the right place at just the right time to be used by him. We know, friends, that we are God's essential workers. Because just as God did for this cult, God sets us apart in a specific place at a specific time to be used by him. I remember reading the story of Dorothy Fletcher. It was uh, 2003, and she was on a flight on her way from Manchester to Orlando. I believe it was on her way to a wedding in the family. And this article talked about how Dorothy Fletcher in her 60s was on this flight for many hours and midway someplace around North Carolina, Dorothy Fletcher had a massive heart attack. The uh, flight attendants rushed over to her seat. They began to call the call button. The people next to her called the call button. Flight attendants go right back to the front of the cockpit and they get on the speakers and they say, is there a doctor on the plane? And as they're crying out and there's a frenzy around, 15 hands were raised. 15 people pressed their call buttons. It just so happened that these 15 peoples were peoples. (laughs) These 15 people were cardiologists. They were on their way to a conference from Manchester to Orlando. And God had situated these 15 people, these 15 cardiologists on the right plane at the right time so that Dorothy Fletcher's life could be saved. 
And as I was reading accounts of this story, Dorothy Fletcher's daughter was sitting with her and she said, we didn't even know who they were. They just began to work on her immediately. They saved her life and we still don't know their names. (laughs) Friends, let me tell you something. Let us never question why God has us positioned where we are. Because when you are with God, when God is with you, he will always make sure that you are positioned at the right place at the right time to be found by him and to be used by him. Sometimes we question our lives. We question why we are where we are. Maybe like this cult, you felt tied to a particular location. Maybe you felt tied to a particular city or a job or a place. Maybe like the cult, you tried to be free, but for whatever reason, God wouldn't let you. Well, I want you to know that just as God had the cult in the right place, just as God had 15 cardiologists in the right place, our God still operates with you in the right place at the right time. And God is speaking to us right now to remind us that we are essential, not just because of who we are, but God lets us know we are essential because of where we are. We are God's essential workers at work in the workplace, at work in our schools, at work in our families, at work in our churches. And just when we begin to question whether or not we're in the right place at the right time, God reminds us, I have placed you exactly where I need you. And you are part of God's essential working team. So this text proves to us we're essential to God because he set us apart to be in the right position for him. But secondly, we know that we are essential to God because of our purpose, a purpose that God ignites within us. In verses 30 through 34 of this text, It tells us that the disciples were to find this cult tied, and it was a cult that had never been ridden, and they were to bring it to Jesus. And the text tells us if anyone were to ask them why they were losing the cult, they they were to tell people, the Lord has need of it. And sure enough, as they were loosing it, the owners came out and asked the disciples what they were doing, and they responded just as Jesus told them, and they brought the cult to the master. Now, the text does not say that the owners asked the disciples where they were going. It doesn't say that they said, no, that's not yours, or what are you trying to do taking my cult? They didn't respond in a hostile manner. They didn't object when the disciples asked or explained why they needed it. It's as if the owners knew that God had a purpose for this cult. It's as if they expected that this time would come. Some theologians have suggested that the owners of this cult were disciples of Jesus. And maybe when they heard that God had purpose for that cult, it was also an extension of purpose to them. They willingly let go of the cult because by allowing God to use what they had, they were allowing God to use them. Furthermore, this cult, it says, had never been ridden but it went willingly with the disciples. Now, this this may not feel like a big deal, but some people suggest that if the cult had never been ridden, that means it was wild. (laughs) That means that this cult had a mind of its own. In other words, people may have tried to ride it in the past, but it wouldn't submit to them. People may have tried to carry things on in the past, but it didn't prove useful. But for whatever reason, this cult had never been used. But the disciples did something powerful. The disciples did what Jesus called them to do. And because they followed through and did what Jesus asked them to do, I believe Jesus activated a purpose for the cult that had never been activated before. 
This cult was essential to God. And because it was essential to God, because it submitted to the will of the Lord, because this cult followed God's commands, God was able to activate purpose in the cult that had never been touched or or tainted in any way before. In the same way, I believe that God has set us apart because of our purpose. And when we connect with God and God connects with us, God can activate our purpose for him in ways that we have never seen before. God is able to activate unique purpose within us that no one else can do. He's able to cause our gifts and our talents to be used in ways that the world could never do. And while, for example, we may not be able to deliver good presentations on the job, God can still use us to preach a powerful sermon. We may get nervous of being around people at times, but God can still use us to sing in the choir. We may even have trouble um, thinking of facts when it comes to the ways of the world, but when our purpose matches up with the power of God, God can activate gifts and talents in us that we never knew we had. The other day, um, my girls who are now six and eight were having a slime party with my nieces. You may have remembered, I brought my niece with me last year, Cadence. She's amazing. She's in a high school right now, and she might even be coming to Seattle for college. But they were playing with the slime, and all I looked over, I saw my six-year-old, and she had goo, sticky mess all over everything. I am not a fan of slime for that reason. It was everywhere between her fingers and, and, and it was just dripping all over the plate. And I remember hearing my younger niece say, don't worry, Josie, we're just going to add a little activator and it'll all come together. And sure enough, she added a little bit of the activator to that sticky mess and Josie began to mold it together on her hands. And before she knew it, she had something that was moldable and connected and just a little bit fun. <laughs> Friends, I want you to know that when we can Connect with God. And when God connects with us, it's like applying the activator of the Holy Spirit and the messy, sticky mess of our lives. When it's applied with the activator of the Holy Spirit, becomes something that can be molded and shaped and might actually be fun. <laughs> Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. David says, I cry out to God most high who fulfills his purpose for me. Isaiah says, that God's word does not return to him void, but it will accomplish what God desires and achieve the purpose for which, it's, for which it was sent. The same God who set the cult apart for his purpose is the same God who can activate purpose in your life. I don't know about you, but that is good news for me because just when it seems like our lives don't have meaning, just when it seems like 2021 is a spread out mess, the Holy Spirit reminds us God is still applying the activator of the Holy Spirit. And before we know it, everything will come together and it just might be fun. <laughs> so we, we are God's essential workers first because he set us apart in position for him. Second, we are God's essential workers because God activates our purpose in him. But thirdly, God reminds us we are, our, we are his essential workers because of our praise. In verse 35, Luke tells us that the disciples brought the colt to Jesus. And they put their coats on top of that colt, a colt as Jesus rode into the city. And as he rode into the city, the people began to shout and praise, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. At this point, the Pharisees told Jesus to silence the disciples. But Jesus replied in these most beautiful words. He said, if they keep silent, the rocks would cry out. 
Oh my goodness, there's so much in this text that reminds us of how essential we are for God. This cult, who started out as a bound and useless animal, was now the one to carry the Savior. This cult, who previously stood neglected by the wall, was now lavished with garments and had the privilege of serving the Master. And with all that was going on, with the magnitude of service, I believe that this cult, by carrying the Savior, was in fact giving God praise. This cult praised God by doing what it was made to do. It praised God by lifting up the king. This cult was part of God's essential workers, and God gave this cult a reason to praise his name. You see, nature has no problem praising God. Psalm 19 tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. When God created the heavens, they began to praise him, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When God created the earth, it began to be full of God's glory. When God created the waters, the waters praised God by being obedient with the ebb and flow of the tide. When God created the rain, it became obedient by falling when it was time to fall and rising as the dew began to rise. When God created the winds, the winds praised God by whistling the name of the Lord. When God created the trees and the, and the flowers, they praised God by waving their branches and blooming in their color. Even the insects get to praise God as the crickets rub their legs together, as they fly and crawl and build and do what only God can appreciate and see. I'm just trying to let you know that if nature has no problem praising God, if a cult has no problem praising God, then what in the world are we doing now? Let us give God praise because we're part of his essential workers. Let us give God praise because we are fearfully and wonderfully made in his name. Let us give God praise because we're set in the right position. We've been activated with the right purpose. And it is our praise that makes us part of this amazing and glorious and worthy army of God. Hallelujah. We give the Lord praise. And our praise is essential to God. Lord, I thank you for just this reminder on this Palm Sunday of what it means to give you praise and glory. And Lord, we don't want the rocks to cry out for us. So we thank you right now for putting us in the right position. Forgive us, God, for the times we've tried to get out of position, but thank you for keeping us where we need to be. Thank you, Lord, for activating purpose in our lives, purpose that comes alive when we come in contact with the living God. And we thank you, God, for giving us unique and qualified praise. <laughs> thank you, Lord, that our praise is not that of the wind or the seas or the animals or the trees. You've given us unique praise. You've made our praise You've made our position, you've made our purpose essential for you. So I pray for every person listening today that you would bless us to set our hearts and our minds on purpose for you. Use us for your glory, God, until Christ comes for us again. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.